Today is Tetzaveh. You hear me? So we were singing, Lord, make us holy. And I thought to myself, well, what, is it, what does it mean to be holy? And it fits into the thoughts that the Lord put in my heart this week. It really means to be pure, right? Holiness is purity. And there's a process to purity. Purity doesn't just happen. You know, you, you're born pure, and then you get contaminated. You know, when, you, when you're, well, some people would argue you're not born pure because they're crazy, because you're born into sin, but you're born without, you're, you're born not having sinned, but you're born into a sinful world that then affects you and then causes you to, causes your flesh to, rise up and your flesh has a certain propensity to do one thing over the other and so therefore you would travel into either deeper holiness or or, or wickedness and and or in the middle lukewarmness but true followers of God people who seek the truth they have to seek out purity it's a process and it's hard it's not it's not something that just comes about Potentially, there's an event in your life that occurs where it forces you into purity. No other, no other purpose in life but to be pure because of the event that occurred in your life. Other people, they live their entire lives till their deathbed trying to figure out what righteousness is. And then when they lie there looking up and they're alone and they're leaving the world the same way they came in, all alone, they start to realize what true righteousness was on the earth. And then some people are, some people are, are proponents of, you know, I was taught this way and I was taught to be a certain way, so I'm going to seek out the way that I was taught. Others reject it, like the prodigal son. They run off and uh, they try to figure out their own, they sow their, their, their wild oats and they figure out their own way. Ultimately, everyone is in the pursuit of purity. No matter if they're wicked or they're righteous, everyone is pursuing purity. They're trying to figure it out. So let's let me let me uh, let me go to the internet. So this parasha today is interesting because of what it asks Moses to do. But let's start by reading from the internet what it means, what the process of creating pure olive oil is. Okay. The, tree, the olive tree is native to the Mediterranean basin, it says. Archaeological evidence shows that olive oil was produced as early as 4000 BC. Besides food, olive oil was used historically for medicine, lamp, fuel, soap, and skin care. I need skincare right now. I was thinking about that. I got this big thing on my face. I'm like, I'm, I'm using Tasha's pink stuff at night, and it's, I'm looking ridiculous, and I'm going to start using olive oil because it says I can. 
But lamp fuel was interesting because what does the scripture say about your lamps? You've got to keep them full, and you're not keeping them full with, with impure olive oil, but yet probably extra virgin olive oil. Virgin olive oil is one thing. How can you be extra virgin? <laughs> That's an interesting concept. The majority of olive oils produced, and I'm not going to read that part, it doesn't matter, but the variety and maturation are two of the most important factors of olives that influence the quality and taste of the final olive oil. There are hundreds of varieties of olive trees, wide range olive varieties are used in the production of olive oil. These include, you can look them up for yourself. Olive oil production begins with harvesting the olives. Traditionally, olives were hand-picked. Currently, harvesting is performed by a variety of types of shakers that transmit vibrations to the tree branches, causing the olives uh, to drop into nets that have previously been placed under the tree canopy. They drop into nets, so it's almost like they're fishing for olives. They have fishing nets, and those fishing nets collect the olives, and they're harvesting. And that's an interesting idea, because it's what we do when we go out into the world and we minister the gospel. We're harvesting olives. We're looking for the pure olives. Yeshua harvested olives when he came into the, into the, into the world. He's harvesting us. And through that harvesting, he's creating a holy people. Okay? So let's just keep going. Increasing ripeness generally increases yield in terms of release of olives from the tree branches. However, over-mature olives do not possess the best sensory qualities for oil production. Over-mature olives do not produce the best production. We come to the Lord like a child, right? We come to him with childlike faith. We're not over-mature. We're not overthinking. I think about scientists when I think about over-mature olives. You go talk to a scientist or, or, a, or a heavily, you know, heavy theologian, you know, they've kind of moved way far on the spectrum of understanding this infinite, invisible God that reigns above all and supreme. And they're over-mature in their thinking, meaning that they've read a lot of books and they've consumed that information. And in the consumption of that information, they've, they've, they've caused themselves to, to lack faith and believe in the tangible and not the intangible, the terrestrial and not the, you know, celestial. So here we've got overmature concepts of olives, and then we've got, we've got the ripe olives, the ones that are just right, right? The story of the three bears. So harvesting time is frequently a compromise between harvesting efficiency and final oil quality, and after harvesting, the olives are washed to remove dirt, leaves, and twigs. After the twigs are filtered out with, uh, with grids, the fruit is ready for processing into oil. Fewer than 24 hours from harvesting to processing produces the highest grade oils. So traditional oil processing, what is it? Traditional oil pro olive oil processing begins with crushing the olives into a paste. So you can't get pure olive oil without crushing the olives. They have to be crushed. Interestingly, they have to be crushed into a paste, into a mush. 
And the purpose of the crushing is to facilitate the release of the oil from the vacuoles, large granite stones, such as the one shown in the photograph on the internet that you do not see. Uh, they're traditionally used to crush olives. In the other days, donkeys were used to pull the stone and, or the wheel around, and you can, you can picture that in your own mind, right? A donkey with a, uh, uh, a yoke on its neck, and it's pulling a big stone, and it's crushing the olives, okay? The next step in the process involves relaxing the paste, mixing the paste. The paste is mixed for 20 to 45 minutes to allow small oil droplets to combine into bigger ones. So you crush the olives, you put them into a paste, and then you start to mix the paste. And mixing that paste then allows the little bits of oil that are inside of that paste from that olive to, to join with the larger bits of oil. And then there's going to be a separation involved, and it involves water and percolation, and it involves separating it and then bringing it into, into water, just like a birth, right? The scriptures talk very much about <laughs> you're born through water, right, and the river, and you have to come through the water, and you have to come through baptism, and it's the same thing. It's the same concept. So here we are, the, this concept of creating extra virgin olive oil or pure olive oil is a very interesting one because it starts with the crushing and, it, and then it moves into the mixing and then God starts to stir your spirit once he starts to crush you. So in this parashah, there's a scripture, Exodus chapter 27, verses 20 through 21. The scripture says, And you, you shall command the children of Israel to bring you pure olive oil, crushed to be a luminary, to rise as an everlasting flame from evening until morning. You have to bring pure olive oil crushed to be a luminary, to fill lamps for the temple purpose. But this goes beyond just temple service. Okay, This goes into personal, spiritual service as us as believers. There was a daily thought that, had, that I had on a, I, use, I receive every week. Uh, and this week, on February 28th, there was a daily thought that came through. And it said, command. In Hebrew, the word command is tziva, which is where we get the word tetzaveh, which is the parasha, meaning for today. But tziva, command, also means connect, to bring together. It's not only command them, but it connect them. So when I, when I, when I give my children a command, I'm not... I'm not ordering them necessarily, but I'm connecting them with what I want them to do, right? So you have to command or connect the people to what they have to do. Here today, we are tziva, we are connecting you to what you have to be, who you have to be, and what you have to do. That's the purpose of the ministry. That's the purpose of you as people in the, of, of God, to go out into the world, to connect people with God, to command them in the ways of God, to walk them in the ways of God, rather than you know, sitting here and thinking that you know everything, that you, that you are the best, that, that oh, well, I'm going to sit here and yawn, and you know, I'm just doing my service and coming to a uh, temple every week or... You know, I'm going to go to a church service here or there. I'm going to walk to 30 different church services this week. I've been to so many congregations this week listening to pastor talk. I know all of this already. No, your job is to connect. 
with the Holy Spirit in everything that you do on a daily basis. What is the Spirit trying to tell you? Only pure olive oil will find that connection. So tziva, we connect. Moses was told to connect his people, connect them to the infinite light of God, the, the infinite luminary. Connect them to the, another to become a single people. They have to come together. They have to be united. He was commanding them to be united, right? Because without a purpose of unity out in the wilderness, you know, three million people wandering around, it's going to be very difficult if you're not unified in the vision and in the mission that God is giving to you. You have to be unified in the mission. And the moment that impure olive oil gets, gets, gets intertwined with the pure olive oil, the ones that have the vision, the ones that have connected to the infinite light, the moment that the impure creeps in, it, it, it starts to break down the entire community. There's all kinds of discussion in the scriptures, specifically about community and what it means to be in community with, with your people. But you have to be unified, not only with each other, but with God. And your vision and your mission has to be the same. There's a lot of people in, in ministries that they don't have the same vision, they don't have the same mission, and they'll creep and they'll whisper and chirp in each other's ears. But did you hear about this or did you hear about that? And well, I don't believe what that says. You have to be unified. That's the truth. Connect them at an essential soul level where they hold a pure source of light. How do you connect them? You bring them to discover that pure, luminescent oil within themselves. Then they will rise and shine. They will shine at night in a darkness that crushes their bodies and souls, only to bring out a yet finer oil in a darkness that crushes their bodies and souls. Do you believe that you can actually become pure olive oil without being crushed or thrown into a spirit or a series of, of, of events or trials or tribulations or darkness? No. You, you will go through darkness in your life and trials and tribulations that are all part of the crushing. You are on the mill, the stone mill, being crushed by God into a paste that he might separate the oil from you and make you more holy and pure to see things in a greater way for his purpose. Please tell me I didn't lose my laptop. Okay. They will shine at night in a darkness that crushes their bodies and souls, only to bring out of yet finer oil. And they will shine out even in the day, crushed to discover that a world of comfort and luxury cannot satisfy their yearnings. You see, people in the world, they like to pursue the stuff, the comforts, the, 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 the things you know, you go to work, I work hard so I can, you know, have, so I can have stuff. No. You work hard to care for the people around you, one. And if you have an abundance, you give your abundance. And if God blesses you with, with stuff, Baruch Hashem. But your pursuit has to be God. And then God will pour out upon you. Blessing. If your pursuit is not God, then the blessing that you're receiving is coming from somebody else. Understand that if you are blessed in this world, 
That blessing you're receiving is either from God or from someone else. And if you're not pursuing God, it's not from him. When they shine both in the night and in the day, then we know they have the purest of oils. And their flame is an eternal flame, an eshtamid. Imagine shining in the night and the day. You can see the light so bright in the day. Is there a bright light in the day that you can, sh- you can see? Yeah, obviously, it's the sun. Can you si- shine bright as the sun during the day so that the world around you can see your flame burning? Because when they are connected from their inner soul, they are not only connected to the light, they're connected to the luminary, the source of all light. The light can rise and flicker, but the source of light is beyond change. This is the task of every representative of Moses in every generation to guide each soul to discover its connection point to the essence of God and with every other holy soul. I would further say that this is the, the, the task of every representative of Yeshua. Not only Moses, it was Moses' task until Yeshua, and Yeshua took on the torch, he took the flame. He was the light of the world, the scriptures say, right? He's the light of the world. And he says that this light will, will, will not be with you much longer, he tells his disciples. The light will, of the world will not be with you much longer, which means what? That he is going to take that that light and transition it to you you now become the luminaries in the world to shed light into the darkness so that others can be lit you become lamp lighters you're the candle that's burning that everyone else brings their candle to to start their candle right and then it becomes a candle that burns and a candle that burns and you're starting all your candles with this candle. You become the luminary. You become the light that lights the other light lamps. Whose lamps are you lighting with your pure olive oil? It's very difficult sometimes to, to, uh, to light other people's lamps when we're not pure. What does it mean to be pure? It just came to me, Ephesians 4, 29. Somebody, somebody open that up. Ephesians 4.29, go to it. Kathy, you got it? Just say it out loud, real loud. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. Okay, so let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth unless it is used for edification. What does that mean? It literally means that if you have corruption coming from your mouth, you are not pure. There's no purity in you. You you cannot look at someone and say, you know, blah, blah, blah. I mean, I've done it a million times. I do it, arguably. But that's something God has to shake out of us. He has to get it out of us. It's an impurity inside of us. We should always, unless we, unless we have communication that is edifying that person, we should not say it. Do you know the power you have in your tongue? The power you have in your voice, what you are speaking out. Do you realize all of creation was made by a voice? The power to create harm is with our tongue. 
The power to create peace is with our tongue. The power to create joy is with our tongue. We have the power to create many, many different things. And if you are creating corruption or you are seeding corruption through your words, then you have a problem. You are not pure olive oil. We have to edify the body, edify each other. I've been smeared and besmirched and thrown through the mud by so many different people. And you know I've not said a word many times about, about, by those people. I don't go around telling it to anyone. I don't talk about it. I don't even talk about it to them, though I know it. Though I know it, I don't even speak to them about it. It's not worth it. One, I know me, and if I begin to talk in that circumstance, it becomes different. <laughs> that, that, that impurity inside of me will become out, so stop it. Stop it quick. Stop it early. Ignore it. It's not worth it. We have to edify each other, not reduce each other. I'm okay with being reduced because I have broad shoulders God created for me. Right? He made me to be able to take certain things that others cannot for a purpose. And so I bear crosses, like you, many of you do. We bear those crosses. And I walk not in shame, even though I could be shamed. I walk not in shame because I know what God is doing and why I am who I am. My seeking is purity and righteousness. And so I have to hold my tongue. And so I have to let God be the voice. And so I have to be silent. And so I have to say, God, you are in control. You are the master of all. You establish paths and break them down. You build cities and you, and you tear cities down. You are the conqueror. You're the one that is involved in every aspect of everyone's lives. And no matter what is happening, it is you. And we may not understand why there's an army of Pharaoh behind us and, a, and an ocean or a lake in front of us. But we know that that ocean will split and we'll walk through and we know that when we get across the other side we're not in the promised land but we know that we're going to be able to get through the wilderness with you we know that when we're thirsty that the rocks will, will cry out and give us water we know that when we're hungry you'll, you'll breathe manna from the air this is your life, not mine. It's yours, whatever it may be. And when people rise up against me, Lord, we know you will be the one that takes them out. Pure olive oil is a part of a crushing. That crushing has to have pressure on it. Without pressure on your life, Without pressure from external circumstances, you cannot be purely crushed. Any of you in your life, if you've not had pressure, ask yourself, am I walking in the presence of God? 
I've never really felt pressure. Hmm. My life's just been decent. Are you walking in the, in, the, in the masterful presence of God? Are you moving in his mission for you? Have you found it yet? Because anyone in the scriptures that is called by God will have to inevitably experience that pressure cooker on their life. It's impossible not to. You are thrown into a state of pure and absolute unadulterated faith. You are thrown into a state of pure, absolutely unadulterated uh, trust. You have to have bitachon. You have to have trust in a way that is significantly different from the person next to you. You're not... I had a conversation with someone before, uh, a couple weeks ago. We were talking and comparing experiences. He's like, yeah, you know, I've been through similar experiences. And then we start talking through the experiences. And he said, actually, uh, I'm, I'm happy to have my problems and not yours. I said, yeah, you didn't have my experiences. Not everyone can go through a pressure cooker that God has. And they're just like, no, oh, I'm good with what I went through. Yeah, that pressure wasn't real pressure. This week, Eliana, yesterday at a tournament, soccer tournament, injured her foot. And she fell down. And, 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 and Eliana is a soldier. I mean, she doesn't get hurt. She could have an absolute collision. And it looks like both of them have killed each other. And that girl will get up and walk away, and the other girl's flat on the ground, out for the rest of the season. I mean, it's, she's a wall. She's a tough cookie. But yesterday she went down and she started to cry, and I've never seen her cry on the field like that. So I knew, okay, well, something happened, because she doesn't get injured. I mean, she usually just blasts through it. And... And I'm looking at her, and I'm and I'm waiting, and I'm I'm waiting to see if it's you know broke. Because if it's broke, then I'll go out there and get her. But I'm just sitting there, kind of like ready to go if I have to. She looks back at us, you know, because we're her parents, and she's kind of she gets this big crying in her face, and and I'm and I'm just watching and making sure that that maybe she's just had a real bad contact hit, you know, a real bad contact bone on bone. And I've had that before, too, when I was a kid. You contact bone on bone, man, that hurts. You know, you really come in and get it. It doesn't feel good, and you feel like you're out, you know, and, and down. And uh, she, she, finally they, they got her to stand up. She was kind of trying to move it. She moved it a bit, and I'm like, all right, well, it's not broke. She's moving it. So they, they carried her off, two people, and, and uh, I went with her. I went and got her. We took her to the trainer to check it out. It's not broken. It's not sprained. Okay, it's just a real bad contact, like I thought. So in my mind, I'm thinking, you get out there and you get it done. Tape up the ankle, she's going back out. This is my mind, right? When I was a kid, I would have been so upset that that happened, I'd say, you tape, cut it off, I'll run without it. You know what I mean? It's one of those things. I'm going to go get the kid who put me on the ground. Like, it would have been one of those things. But, you know, I'm different. I'm looking at her. I'm like, you know, listen, this is just a bruise. This is a this is going to be a maybe a deep bruise, and it's going to hurt for a while. But you're going to have to suck that up and get out there and get it done again. Go. 
You know, I'm putting pressure and pressure and pressure on her, and she doesn't want to do it. You can see it in her face. I'm trying to, I'm trying to encourage her and get her pumped up about it. But you can see in her face that she's like, you know, Dad, don't, you know, I'll do it. You know, she's doing it because she wants to, you know, support what her dad wants. But I said, if you don't feel right, then don't go out. But if you're fine and you can run on it and it's not killing you and it's not going to injure your injure you anymore it's just a bruise then get out there and get it done so be part of your team your your team needs you blah blah blah. well she she sucks it up she starts jogging on it and she's running and then she calls me on the side and sidelines and she says should I go back in I said you already heard what I said I want you to take three laps of jogging then I want you to sprint then I want you to jog again and then I want you to tell your coach you're ready to go back in if you feel like you can go back in so she does it, she goes back in, and when she goes back in right away, she looks like a gimp, right? She's not keeping up with other girls, they're chasing the ball, she's limping as she's running, and you could tell that she was hurting, and Tasha and I both go, well, she should never have went back in, right? But the pressure that, the pressure that you put on is saying, how far can I take you? until you break right how far can she go in the in 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 the midst of a challenge in the midst of a of a of a of a trial of a tribulation when you're knocked down how far can you go what will your mind take you to can she get over the feeling of pain and get through the pain to a point of i have to do this I have to be here and do this. And that's what God does to us often, very often. He'll take us through a furnace, a fiery furnace. He will not extinguish the fire, but he'll make you fireproof. You realize you're standing there in the fiery furnace, burning all around you. It seems that your body's on fire. He's not extinguishing the fire. It is still there, but you're fireproof. Can you get through it and not burn? Will you not fall to the ground and, and scream and wail, but stand there with your eyes closed, with your head up, and your, and, and your spirit focused on what God has for you to do? The mission. You'll stand in a den full of lions, and you'll walk into that den, and you'll see these lions, and they're roaring at you, and they're ready to be ravenous. And you say to God, God, here I stand before these mighty lions. But I know that you, even in this trial that I'm in, even in this, in this failed place that I'm in, that you can overcome this. So I stand here firmly with affirmation and confirmation and strength and courage. That these lions will not eat me. But you will send your angels to be charged over me. And that your angels will protect me. And they will shut the mouths of these lions. The pressure that, that God puts his people into. You realize you're not exempt from trial and tribulation. You're not exempt from it because you're a believer. So many people think they are because they've not gone through it. And I would argue they haven't gone through it because they're not truly seeking. 
That's a big claim. That's a big claim to say that. But you can't find a, a person in the scriptures that you read about and that you love and that you look at as an inspiration and that you trust that didn't have it, that didn't have a trial, a tribulation, go get scorned, rejected, rebuked. Your own Savior, your own Mashiach went through the trial of trials. And you expect not to go through it? He didn't ask you to lay your life down. He did it. But he did ask you to accept the weight of his glory. The weight of his glory is crushing. The weight of his glory is turning you into pure olive oil. And if you don't take the weight of his glory... And if you don't say, Lord, I surrender. And if you don't say, Lord, I put my trust in you. Then your life will not be full. How many of us go to school? We get educated. We're smart. The world around us tells us how smart we are. We're engineers. We're doctors. We're scientists. We're business professionals. And the world's like, oh, you're so smart and intelligent. Oh, and look how great. You have all these great things because of how smart you are. Bollocks. If you don't praise God for the things you have, for the mind you have, for the wisdom he's given you, for the knowledge he's allowed you to retain. He could turn that knowledge right out of your ear right now. Just turn it off, take it out. If you don't praise God in season and out of season for having plenty and having nothing, you can't be pure olive oil. You cannot be a light into the world which is demonstrating the presence of God in the, in the lives of other people. You cannot be that person. One of our sages, one of our sages in the Jewish tradition has, has used this verse you shall command the children of Israel to bring you pure olive oil crushed to be a luminary, to rise as an everlasting flame from evening until morning. He says that the verse contains a paradox. The paradox is an everlasting flame. The everlasting flame implies a state of perpetuality and changelessness from evening to morning. It implies fluctuating conditions of lesser and greater luminance. For such is our mission in life, to impact the eternity and perfection of the divine to a temporal world. And to do so not by annihilating or overwhelming the world's temporality and diversity, but by illuminating its every state and condition from evening to morning with the divine light. Just as the olive yields light only when it is pounded the olive yields light only when it is pounded. You can't take an olive and put it in to a lamp and light the lamp with an olive. You have to pound the olive. 
so that it might become a light. So are man's greatest potentials realized only under the pressure of adversity. Your greatest potential will not be realized if you're not in adversity. It what throws you into the mission that God has for you. It's what requires you to stand there and say to yourself, Who am I? Am I a child of God or am I a child of the world? Do I want what God has or do I want what the world has? It requires you to do so. When you get knocked down, do you have the fortitude to stand up, wrap your ankle, and get back out there hobbling or not? Will you do it? She goes back out to the field, the coach and within, within four minutes, the coach called her back out. And he said, look, your determination is unmatched. But I'm not going to allow you to, continue, to injure yourself. Well, that's all that mattered. All that mattered was that she was willing and had the courage, even in pain, to continue on. That lesson, you can't teach that. It's embedded in you. It's DNA. It's pure olive oil. She's been pounded and crushed. She's pure olive oil. That kid is amazing, not only because it's my kid. It's any kid that does that. It's amazing that she was able to do that. She, you, me, all of us have to be able to Understand that the pressure that is put on, put on us is all for the crushing to generate and produce pure olive oil that we might be that luminary essence in the world that brings people to the light and understanding of the, of the pain and the suffering and the tragedy that Yeshua had to go and experience on the cross for us because we are unworthy and regardless of what anyone says we are impure olive oil that he makes pure and the only reason we might shine bright and the only reason we might be called or considered pure olive oil is because He has removed from us the impurities and made us to whore. And not to me. Through His death, His resurrection, and His return. When one speaks crushing words of rebuke it must be with the sole purpose of enlightening illuminating uplifting one's fellow never god forbid to humiliate and break him that's another word from the hasidic masters that's what that was that's what brought me to this ephesians there's two types of crushing You can crush a man's soul, a woman's soul, in a, in, a, in a very destructive way, or you could crush them to edify them, to teach them, to bring that pure oil out of them. 
I'm going to read John 12, 27 through 36. It says, Now my soul has become troubled, and what am I to say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came out of heaven. I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. So the crowds who stood by and heard it were saying that it had thundered. Others were saying an angel has spoken to him. Yeshua responded and said, The voice has not come for my sake, but for yours. Isn't that, isn't that interesting? You think Yeshua needed to hear from God? Do you think that when he's saying, Lord God, my soul is troubled, what am I to say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I come to this hour. The trouble that he was going through, the, the adversity that he was going through, he didn't even necessarily want it. His flesh inside of him was saying, this is a terrible thing that you're going through. His flesh was battling it. That's a fact. But he knew deep down in his spirit what he had to do. He didn't need God to thunder and lightning. He didn't need God to speak. He knew he was one with God. He is, he is God. He's part of him. <coughs> Excuse me. He knew his purpose. He knew what he had to do regardless of the pain and the tragedy and the adversity that he was about to go through and the fact that he was going to have to be raised up as we see here in a moment. He said, this voice wasn't for me, it was for you so that you might believe. God's not speaking to me. He's speaking to you so that you can believe. You're hearing the thundering so that you can believe because you need it to believe. You need it to. I do it all the time. I pray to God all the time. Lord, I just need to see this, or I need to hear this, or I, Lord, just show me, and I'll know, I'll know that it's you. Rather than knowing inside of me, which I already do, I still need affirmation of a loud, boisterous, thundering voice. And even when that affirmation comes because God is holy and just and good and he loves me and he gives it to me. When it comes, I even say to myself, I knew that all along. I don't know why I needed that, but thank you. Because inside we know. We're already connected to him. We're already in connection to him when the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. So that Holy Spirit inside of you already knows what God is doing, wants to do, or is telling you to do. He said, the voice has not come for my sake, but for yours. Now judgment is upon this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, I'll draw all people to myself. Now he was saying this to indicate that what kind of death he was going to die, the scripture says. The crowd then answered him, We have heard from the law that, that the Messiah is to remain forever. And how is it that you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? So Yeshua said to them, For a little while longer, the light is among you, he says. For a little while longer, the light will be here. Walk 
while you have the light, so that darkness will not overtake you. Also, the one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. He's visionless. He has no vision. He has no focus. He has no goal. He has nothing to see in front of him. It's just darkness. When we're done with service today, close your eyes and try to go have oneg. Go, close your eyes, keep your eyes closed and try to go have oneg without having someone help you, show you the way. If you don't have a vision in the light, you're stuck. You're stuck. You cannot move. You're stuck in fear. You're stuck in you're stuck in a, in a state of a, a, a panic, of trauma. You have to see the light to escape your panic, to escape your trauma, to escape whatever it may be that's holding you back from doing what God has caused you to do. He says, for a little while longer the light will be on the earth, but then it is going away. So, while I am here, walk in me so that you're not overtaken by the darkness which is here on this earth while you have the light believe in the light so that you may become the sons of light Matthew 5 13-16 you are the salt of the earth but if the salt has become tasteless how can it be made salty again if you take salt and you remove from salt the saltiness. And all you have is these granular white consumables. But it doesn't taste like anything. Can you put it back in? No. It's washed out. It's done. Throw it away. Have you ever had salt that was... That was Tasteless? I have. We had salt. We had a salt shaker in our one of those grinders in our uh, in our house since we got married. Fifteen years. I tried to use it the other day. We've been married seventeen years, but we've had this thing for at least fifteen years because we don't ever use the grinder one. I'm like, oh, I couldn't find the salt anywhere, so I'm like, oh, there's that from fifteen years ago. I took it out. I tried to use it, and it was. Worthless. Like I'm like, no wonder we didn't use this thing. It doesn't have any taste. You can't put the taste back in. There's so many in the world. There's so many, so much salt in the world that has lost its taste. Think about believers in churches. They've just sit there. They've lost their taste. People don't want to be around them. They have no interest in hearing from them, communicating with them. There's no real, I'm not getting edified by you. You're not, you're, you're just there. You're, yeah, they've been here forever. It's good. They're, they're nice people, but I'm not really. They've lost, their, they have no taste. When you have taste, you come back to the meal. When you have taste, people will come back to you. 
So you have to be tasteful. You have to have, you have, to have the Spirit of God inside of you. You have to be attracting people to you through your words and your voice and your light and your saltiness. How do you do that? I'll, I'll, I'll give you an example with my kids. Again, because that's what I learned most of my life through my children. Yesterday, Miley Ellie came to me and said, and she's the one, you know, every family has one. And Lielli's the one that needs it, the attention, the love. She's the middle child. And it's clear. But there's things about Eliana that I rave about I praise her for. There's things about Ziva that I rave about and I praise her for. There's things about Dasi that I rave about and I praise her for. Mikey's Mike. And Lieli is the same. But she can't see it. She's the one that can't see my praise. She can only see the praise of her siblings. And so I'm sensitive to it. But yesterday she came to me and she says, Daddy, I want to be an engineer. I said, oh, you do? Why is that? Well, I like to build things. Well, that's Ziva's praise. We always say Ziva's going to be an engineer. We always say that Ziva's going to you know, go out and build bridges and roads and buildings because she has a mind like that. She's very, she can take an adult Lego set that is, you know, crazy difficult and probably get it done in an eight-hour period when it should take you a week. I mean, she's just got the knack, right? And we're always saying it. And so here Lieli comes up to me. And she says, I want to be an engineer. And I know why she's doing it, because she wants me to say, oh, that's phenomenal, because she sees that I say that to Ziva. And I told Tasha last night, we have to praise Lieli daily about the things that we love about her so that she's confident in who she is and not wanting to have someone else's blessing. And I'm not saying that she couldn't be an engineer because she's super smart too. She's our best reader in the house. Liel reads better than every kid did and is on a very high reading scale. So she's going to do something uh, phenomenal because she's intelligent. But the point is that we, you have to kind of keep them engaged. And so when I praise her, she comes back for the praise. When I continue to praise her, she comes back because she enjoys it. It's no different from when Yeshua or God, when you're in God's presence and you feel that God's pouring out a blessing on you. You feel that he's pouring out on you. You want to come back to God all the time because God's pouring out on you. But the day that God decides to withhold the blessing for a period of time, not forever, because the Bible literally tells you that if I have blessed you, you are blessed and nothing can stop it. The story of what? Give me the example of a story that we know that from. Anybody have it on top of their head? Say again? No? 
Yes, but no, not the one I'm thinking of. There's a donkey in this story. Huh? Okay, which one's the donkey, Isaac or Rebecca? How about Balaam and Balak? How about that one? Right? The prophet was told to curse the children of Israel. But what happened? The prophet says to the king, I cannot curse what God has blessed. I cannot do it. No matter what you pay. He says, he, says tell, he tells the servant to go to the prophet. Tell the prophet, I'm going to give you all of my silver, all of my gold, all of my pearls. I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to make you the richest man on earth. And the, and the literally, literally says to the king, I can't. It doesn't matter if you, if you willed me your entire you know, kingdom, including your wives, whatever it may be. It doesn't matter what you do. I still cannot curse a people that are blessed. And then what? Out of, the, out of this story, if you remember, out of this story became one of the most beautiful blessings the children of Israel has ever received. How goodly are your tents, O Jacob. How beautiful are your hills. Out of, out of this story was the most beautiful blessing Israel could ever have received. No matter what God does, your blessing cannot be tore from you. It cannot be taken from you. God blesses you forever and ever and ever. But you might go through a period of crushing, and you might go through a period of pressure, and you might go through a time of absolute disarray and, and disenchantment of life and not want to be here anymore and all these things. But you have to survive and realize that though you're in the fire, you're fireproof. Though you're in that lion's den, they will not open their mouths at you. It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under by people, underfoot by people. For what? You are the light of the world. You're a city set on a hill, and you cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Your light must shine before people in such a way that they may see your good works and that they glorify the Father who is in heaven. This is how your saltiness remains salty. Your light has to shine that people might see your good works and they glorify the Father who is in heaven. This is how it happens. We take a nursery rhyme song. And we teach our children from the time that they're very little about the purity of God. The holiness of God through this song. This little light of mine. Right? I'm going to let it shine. We have this song that we teach our children because it's a song of purity. It's a song of, of overcoming. It's a, song, it's a song that teaches us 
pressure in life and crushing and becoming pure olive oil and overcoming and, 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 and making ourselves the light of the world. Which is not just saying, Yeshua, come into my life and into my heart. That doesn't make you the light of the world. That's the beginning. Now comes the process. That's the harvesting. You realize when you say, Lord God, come into my life, make me a, make me a follower of your kingdom. I can't live this life without you. You are the one and only true Mashiach of Israel. I believe that you died and rose again. I believe that you're ascended and that you're coming back as Mashiach bin David. And, and by the way, I'm going to go through baptism and I'm going to recognize that in the world and I'm going to make myself through a water baptism. All that is is the harvesting of an olive. You're, a, a, a wide net was cast. And you were fortunate enough to fall off that olive tree into that net that Yeshua cast out. And now you're one of his olives that he now is going to turn into pure olive oil, which requires a process of crushing and then mixing and stirring up inside and then kneading and then separating and percolating the Spirit of God which lives inside of you. You cannot be pure olive oil without God moving mightily in your life. And mightily doesn't always mean what it looks like. Mighty, mightily doesn't always mean what it sounds like. The crushing process of the Spirit of God is moving inside of you. He's separating the oil. He's making you pure. You have to go through that purification process to truly be a light to the world. For the Lord of the Sabbath. Amen. Amen. It is our duty to praise the Master of all, to ascribe greatness to the author of creation. For he made us unlike the nations of the lands and has not placed us like the families of the earth. He's not made our portion like theirs or a lot like all their multitudes. We bend the knee and bow. Acknowledge our thanks before the King over kings. The Holy One blessed is he. He stretches out heaven and establishes earth's foundation. The seed of his glory is in the heavens above. The presence of his power is in the most exalted heights. He's our God, there is none other. True is our King, there's nothing beside Him as it is written in His Torah. You shall know this day and take to your heart that the Lord, He is God, in the heavens above and on the earth below. There is none other. Let us stand together.